when we were all home, working parents were also on screens. And so kids were left really fending for themselves, trying to engage in online learning, while parents are trying to figure out how to engage in online work. Welcome to the Good and Grounded podcast, a project that our team at Ground Floor Media and Center Table created as a way to shed light on some of the biggest issues and needs in our Colorado community and as a result of the pandemic. I'm Laura Love, founder of Ground Floor Media and co-founder of Center Table. And I'm Jim Lico, co-founder of Center Table with Laura. On May 25th of this year, Children's Hospital Colorado declared a state of emergency for youth mental health. And today's guest was instrumental in leading this effort. So in addition to serving as Vice President of Population Health and Advocacy at Children's Hospital, and because she apparently is a Wonder Woman on steroids, Heidi also recently stepped into another very large role as the Interim Executive Director of the Partner for Children's Mental Health. But, and maybe most importantly, she's an awesome wife to her husband, Tyler, and an incredible mom to two little boys, Gray and Hank, and pretty much just an all-around rock star in my book. So I can't think of anyone better to join us to talk about this really important topic than Heidi. Thanks for being with us. So appreciate it. Thank you. Heidi, let's start here. Um, can you describe to our listeners the mental health crisis that, that kids in Colorado are facing right now and maybe uh, how much of that is relative to the pandemic and, and the last year we've all experienced? Yeah, let's be clear. Kids in Colorado have been struggling with mental health issues for a number of years. We have seen suicide rise to the top of the list as the leading cause of death for Colorado's kids within the last five years. So this has been a struggle that we've been contending with now for a while. But what I will say to you is that the pandemic has exacerbated those challenges and has taken kids who have felt anxiety or depression and now put them in the space where they're actively planning how to take their own lives. So we are in a different place. At Children's Hospital Colorado alone this last month, we saw a 90% increase in the amount of kids coming into our emergency department seeking care as a result of suicidal ideation. So the problem is real, it is growing, and it is very serious. Quick follow-up on that front. Um, what is the importance, what is the tactical importance of declaring a state of emergency? And, and what does that demand of Governor Polis as state lawmakers and various agencies in our state discuss this issue? Uh, and then I guess I'd add on to that, how do we compare to to other states out there? Is this something that's um, uh, exasperated in Colorado uh, as compared to other states? Yeah, those are great questions, Jim. So, you know, unlike the state of Colorado, when they declare a state of emergency, we don't see FEMA and the National Guard rolling in. Um, but what it does do is it allows us to get the attention of our governor and our lawmakers to, to essentially wave the white flag and say, hey, we can't handle this. This is now well beyond what we are able to do. And we need your help in meeting this need. And it extends uh, not only beyond the hospital, but our counties and our schools who are also responsible for trying to, to meet this growing need are similarly raising that white flag and um, demanding additional assistance. What I'll say that is different about the state of Colorado with respect to the rest of the country with this particular topic is that in the last 10 years, this state has seen a significant decrease in the amount of resources available to serve kids and youth in this space. So we've seen the loss of 1,000 beds, if you can imagine, to meet the need and the closure of 42 different facilities. So when you take that uh, and you prop it up against this growing need 
um, that really does inform the crisis situation that we're in. Mental health challenges as a result of the pandemic for our youth is a national problem. So there are plenty of other states who are similarly raising that white flag and saying, we, we need help. We can't do this. This is a problem for us. But what's different about Colorado is we're starting off so far behind that trying to meet this uh, existing crisis need is next to impossible. So Heidi, you and I have talked a long time about this and the closure of residential treatment centers and the beds. Where do those kids go right now? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and the answers are heartbreaking. So for some of our sickest kids, uh, some of our most vulnerable, uh, they're being shipped out of state. Uh, this last year alone, we've sent 70 kids out of the state of Colorado at a time when they would benefit most from being close to their families and close to the things that they know. Um, the other thing is kids get stuck. Um, so they get stuck in our emergency department, sometimes for months. Uh, or in inpatient hospital units, um, sometimes for upwards of a year while they're waiting for services in the community to become available. And what became even more complicated during the pandemic is, you know, the tiny group of individuals that provide those community-based services were dealing with the same challenges of the rest of us. So they're going on quarantine, they're going on isolation, and all of a sudden they're unable to come in and provide those services. So. Um, I don't even really know how to effectively articulate how bad this is, and it's not going to get better anytime soon. And the return to school, I think, is um, we're, we're going to see need of epic proportion. So you obviously have spent a lot of time um, at the Capitol recently. Talk to us about this. Actually, I would say a huge number <laughs> that is going towards mental health services from the Behavioral Health Recovery Act. But from what I understand, only $12.5 million of the $100 million are going towards pediatric and children's mental health. Is that correct? We were able to get that number increased, but that was the initial situation. So out of a, approximately $100 million dedicated for uh, mental health spend, initially only 12.5 of that was going to be directed toward kids and youth. We were able to increase that just above $22 million. So it's better, um, and we still have a long way to go. So I'll tell you sort of on average for states that do this better than we do, they're spending closer to three to $500 million a year to uh, operate a comprehensive mental health system for kids. And so um, we're not talking about one-time investments, and that's the challenge of our current situation with lawmakers. It's important to think about how to invest this spend, um, but it can't be within the, the belief that if we put this American Rescue Plan dollar investment in place, we'll be good to go. Those are one-time dollars. Um, and so we need to think about what Colorado is going to do to create these longer-term investments. So the $20 million, talk, talk me through where does that money go? Well, a portion of those dollars is going to go toward community-based crisis services. And what that means are things like mobile crisis units. So I think we can all agree you're better off if there's a way to keep the crisis at home and get the supports driven at home to manage that at home. Hospitals are not always the best place to manage a crisis. And then the second piece of that is once you have sort of the moment of the crisis stabilized, you need services to stay in home to manage those next few days and, uh, and then begin to inform the next appropriate settings and steps for care. So that's what that money is really meant to do, is to try to keep kids out of a hospital. 
and give families and caregivers the resources they need to provide care in that moment and then link them up with longer term needs. The next thing is some bed capacity. So as I mentioned earlier, we just have a dearth of beds in the state that can serve these kids. So approximately 30 to 40 additional beds to come online to be able to serve these kids who have ex have exceeded their hospital stay. They don't need hospital level care anymore. They need that, that next step down level. And those beds uh, will come online to serve those kids. So, I mean, I just, I know in those moments of panic as a mom, as a caregiver, as a grandparent, you don't know where to turn. What are the signs to look for if you have a 10 year old that's struggling and you are trying to identify is he, is he or she suicidal? How do I identify that as a parent? Yeah, it's a great question. I think, you know, as a parent as well, we're, we're always afraid of what we do and what we don't talk about. And I think a common misnomer that we're continuing to try to educate parents around is that talking to your kid about whether they're having thoughts about hurting themselves doesn't plant that seed. It doesn't create that. So we do need to allow parents to have an increased comfort to ask that question. Are you thinking about hurting yourself? And, and then the what next? Um, because that's a very scary response to get if the answer is yes. And I think there are a number of different resources. One, we've got an increasing amount of pediatricians in this community that are a resource here. So they've been engaging and getting training and being able to provide information and help. So calling up your pediatrician and getting your kiddo in front of your doc um, is one thing that you can do. Another thing is um, visiting a community mental health center. And then of course, calling the Colorado Crisis Hotline is another place to call and get advice. Um, I would tell you children's is a resource, uh, but we would say sort of early on in those preventative stages where you aren't at crisis level, really linking up with those sort of primary care level resources are gonna be your best, most immediate support. And uh, Heidi, shifting to the cause of this, how much does social media play into this with kids? And maybe what are some of the other common threads that you see as the cause of this epidemic? Yeah, it's a great and interesting question, right? Because I think social media is uh, complicated in this space. During the pandemic in particular, on the one hand, it was allowing for um, some important connections to be happening between youth and feeling like they could reach out and have interactions they weren't otherwise getting in school settings. And yes, uh, on the other hand, on that sort of darker side, um, there is the total overwhelm of being on screens for far too long, um, having exposure to, to online bullying and harassment, feeling additional pressure based on what you're seeing and feeling like you have to keep up or you're you know, being left out of any number of different activities. So I would say it's not completely straightforward. I think what um, child health experts across the country are saying, though, that resonates a great deal is this is all about appropriate limits. So there have to be limits drawn on how often kids can be on those screens and what they're viewing. And creating those appropriate balances is really important for kids going forward. I think the other thing too about what's contributing to our current crisis is, as I mentioned earlier, kids were already struggling with uh, different mental health pressures. And I think what the pandemic did is exacerbate those in a number of different ways. There were already kids who were feeling a lot of anxiety around academic pressure. And when you completely pivot your learning experience to a virtual interaction for a lot of those kids, 
um, that didn't give them the interaction that they needed to feel like they could um, get what they needed from a learning environment, that they could keep up, um, and that there was a way to get help when they were struggling. And so that only increased that academic pressure. Also, the sense of loneliness and isolation, right, really compounded. Um, and think about it. When we were all home, working parents were also on screens. It wasn't as if we were then available to them in a different way than we had been previously. And so kids were left really fending for themselves, trying to engage in online learning, while parents are trying to figure out how to engage in online work. And that really compounded uh, feelings of isolation and, um, and stress. The other thing is, unfortunately, the reality of the situation is a lot of kids aren't living in functional homes. And so when you're tied to a dysfunctional home setting that you don't have outlets from, that compounds any number of different um, anxieties and stressors in this situation. And when you don't have release valves with physical activity and sports and things of that nature, again, it's just a very complicated layering of um, different stressors. And for our communities of color, they're watching family members at a disproportionately high rate struggle with COVID itself and to some degree losing family members. Um, and uh, again, that was an incredible stressor for a lot of our communities. I think people tend to think of, or I should say, I used to think of suicide as something that happened in your late teens or early adulthood. But the statistic is, right, it's a, suicide is the leading cause of death for kids over the age of 10 in color. Is that correct? That's right. And we've been seeing kids as young as seven. You know, my boys are six and eight. Um, and to have a different listening now uh, in our conversations when they're bringing up any number of different things that are bothering them to even as a parent think that I need to be listening for anything that may lead to uh, that kind of behavior is horrifying. Like, and, and just to dig in a little bit more for people that are listening and may be worried that they haven't been listening in the right way, as a parent, as a caregiver, as a teacher, what do you listen for? Ongoing feelings of hopelessness, uh, ongoing feeling of isolation or observation of isolation um, and lack of engagement. So where you see, you know, major changes to a child's behavior, that should be your sign. That should be your red flag, whether that's, you know, your child used to be uh, active in one way and no longer is. Uh, in a way that's noticeable, that should be a sign. If they're talking to you about, I keep having this problem over and over again, and they don't see a way out of that problem, that's something to pay attention to. Heidi, we, we like to leave things on somewhat of a, a, a positive note. And I know, you know, this is a, this is a heavy, heavy, heavy topic on so many levels, but where can parents or caregivers go for help? And maybe what, you know, what is your main call to action related to this issue, this important issue for parents and caregivers today? Yeah, well, one I would say, don't ever worry about reaching out and thinking like you have inappropriate questions or that it's inappropriate to ask for help. Anytime you're not sure, reach out, call your doc, uh, call a trusted advisor. The other thing I would say from a call to action is, uh, and the good news, right, is that the level of attention being placed on this issue right now gives us an opportunity to say, maybe for the first time in a very long time, there are enough people paying attention that we could fix this. 
that there is an opportunity to come together and say, we are going to invest in our kids and we're going to make a system work. We're going to support families and give them the resources that they need to support um, their children and uh, to be able to go to lawmakers and say, don't just think about this as a one-time investment. We need you to be thinking about this for the long term and let's do the hard work um, now so that this is not our problem going forward. Well, thank you for doing the hard work. We appreciate you. Yeah, thanks for thanks for coming on the show and, and bringing more attention to this. I know one of the ways that with any mental health discussion, the ways that we can help is by normalizing, talking about it and bringing it to the forefront and having those conversations. So thank you for, for forcing the issue here in Colorado. It's such a a heavy, heavy topic, but I will say that the one cool thing that has come out of this pandemic is the fact that people are talking about mental health without any sort of stigma attached to it. It's just okay to talk about it and to reach out and connect with someone else who may be going through a difficult time. Whether you're a parent, you're a colleague, you're a friend, reach out, make sure, check in that someone is doing okay. And if they're not, listen, help them out wherever you can and however you can. Yeah. And along those lines, if you have a story that you'd like for us to share with our listening audience, or you have a leader that you'd like us to speak with um, relative to mental health or otherwise, um, let us know, drop us a line because we'd love to talk to anybody out there who's who's doing great things in our community. Um, if you like what you heard, uh, subscribe, smash that subscribe button on, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen. Uh, and we look forward to talking to you guys in the next episode. Let's get out there and do some good in our Colorado communities. Thanks for joining us. 